you guys that song gets me in the mood though a little bit that just got uh, that totally <laughs> kind of just sets sets the tone that's nerve herder should say i don't think i said last time that's nerve herder with van halen if you couldn't figure that out this is fair warning and all we do is talk about van halen and we're starting at the beginning today but before we do that i got to introduce my compatriots got christopher little drip fifle <laughs> how you doing house we got Augie El Pagano Pagan. What's up? In the house. And of course, this is I, the thick white Duke, Jared Britt, in the house. And you want to talk about Van Halen? Good, because that's all we're here to do. Talk about some Van Halen. Yeah, let's We unfortunately it. had to kick this off with an in memoriam episode last time, um, which, if you're joining us from the TNE feed, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for checking this out. Cross pollinate. Yeah, tell a friend. Cross pollination. <laughs> Did I mention that we're called Fair Warning? You did. Because we are called that. And it, would, it could have been a couple other things, so just be glad we settled on Fair Warning. I'm kind of excited to, uh, I'm actually I'm very excited, gentlemen, to kick this off. The Eddie Van Halen's passing took us all by surprise. Um, I didn't see it coming, but he's been quiet, was quiet for a while. And then some of this footage that we watched, uh, Wolfgang and, and his song and whatnot, um, again, kind of hit it home for me. But... <laughs> that's jumping ahead in the future. We're going we're going back in the past. We're talking about now the early days. Let's break down Van Halen. And the thing I'm stoked about is you guys are fans. You are deep, 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 deep fans. I love it. Feels comfortable in this room right now. So I think anybody who's listening to are you this. Not, are you is, not a deep, deep fan? Chris? I, I feel like I'm a deep, deep, deep deep fan i don't know if there's that wolfgang van halen comment you made earlier i feel like maybe you might not be a deep, deep, <laughs> deep, deep fan what did i say i'm not listen don't make me say it all right okay all right you know well, what you did well let's stop talking about me let's stop talking about love let's start talking about the the early talking days about sex baby let's yeah talk about the early days how early are you talking burf <laughs> go ahead lead us there lead us there jared let's start with alex he was born first that's right. 1953. In Holland, though, uh, was it in Amsterdam? Were they city city folks? They were at Amsterdam at some point. Yeah, like born and then another city and then probably not far. I mean, it's not a big country. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's be real. I'm, I said it here. Tiny <laughs> Netherlands, not a big country. Um. I don't really know what the Netherlands must have been like in the fifties. Like, couldn't I mean we're less than we're just maybe a little over ten years. No, less than dykes. ten years out from the There's war. There's a lot of dikes there. Yeah, man. Yep, still are. Still, they're holding it together. Yep, it's a water city. I don't it's know incredible. how. I don't know how messed up Amsterdam got in World War Two. Actually, I don't know it's if they did either. Because did they leave? Through. They got on the boat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the time frame. They what did you, the what, boat. What are you saying there? They were like seven or so when they or Alex is seven ish. Well, they left coming across. Uh, yeah, I think what six or honestly, I was trying to think back further though. Like, what made them leave? Wasn't it like contention that they were? Oh, uh, they like were a, an interracial couple. Which, yeah, which if you thought that wasn't cool in America, I guess try it out in liberal Amsterdam, man. 
So was his his dad was uh, just playing music around there, wasn't he? Early mm-hmm. on. Yeah, I think he was a gigging what a clarinet or probably any woodwind. Yeah, he's a Van Halen. Probably hand him anything. He'll he'll make totally something right. out of it. Um, for whatever reason, they got on that steamer. Mm-hmm. How Fifle Moskowitz is that? Right, you get on a steamer, <laughs> man, dude. Just shovel coal in the boat or, or keep or, moving. Uh, or Godfather Two <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Ellis Island. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if they have. I don't know. Well, yeah, you know what did I it think? just land in Pasadena? The ship just docked in Pasadena <laughs> and let him out. I, you know, I think if the Statue of Liberty was alive and listening to music, she, one of her favorite bands would be Van Halen. Oh yeah, she's already getting ready to throw the devil because, sign. Because look at look at all that talent that is coming from overseas. The huddled masses. That in yeah, the huddled masses enriching our lives. Um, they so they're. they're <laughs> They they're taking a ship over as young kids, Alex and Eddie, and their dad's playing for their fare on the boat, right? Because he's Singing a musician. For supper. Um, the mom seemed to be more of the business type in the uh, uh, you know matriarch of the family. Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, you're you you understand that? I dynamic. do understand this so much. And so, uh, you, the dad's taking some time off between sets, and Alex and Eddie are playing piano on the boat coming across here wizened by the statue of liberty Little immigrant urchins move over to uh to the to the west coast i don't i don't know how they got there to the west coast wagon train but this is a west coast band this whole band was once they were born moved over to the west coast kind of grew up near each other pretty much pretty much S- yeah similar influence right oh yeah they uh well the next one up would be michael anthony Sabalewski, and uh, being born in 1954. No, uh, well, him and Roth were both born. Actually, yeah, him and Roth were both born in 54. Now, he was born in Chicago. Can you believe it? The city of broad shoulders produced this hunk of a man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But by by 1966, when he's, oh, math, 12, they moved to Arcadia, which is right next to Pasadena. It's Pasadena adjacent. And uh, he took up the trumpet at first. That was his first instrument because his dad was a trumpet player. So right away, another guy from musical family, you know? Yeah. That, maybe he's born with it. Maybe not. <laughs> he was in marching band, of course, in uh, high school, like any good rhythm section nerd should be. Yeah. But he did a good job, too. I didn't see what he played in marching band, though. I don't know either. Big Jack Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) Jack Daniels trumpet. (laughs) And all he did was hump it and throw it around. (laughs) Uh, He was kind of a jock, though, too. Played a little baseball. He was a catcher. Catcher? That makes sense. Yeah. Right? A little fire hydrant. And uh, and track and field, which uh, just implies shot put. I think perhaps we, I, I think you could be right. Uh, you don't know he might got those fast twitch muscles though, he, he, and he's like could be a possible. Pole so you vaulted. wouldn't believe it, but I can beat my wife in a foot race to this I think, day. I think it's the uh, <laughs> it's fast twitch muscles. <laughs> I keep thinking of uh, John Belushi in the Saturday mm. Night, Saturday Night Live skit of the little Debbie little O's. chocolate donuts. That's his training <laughs> yeah, regimen. Little chocolate donuts. Yes, he was the everyman. He was he was all of us. Yeah, Michael Anthony is all of us in Van Halen. That's the beauty part. He had some uh, 
he was in bands before Van Halen, though, too. It wasn't his first band. Okay. Let's read down some, some of, of these band his, names. Some of his band names. These, these are pretty great. Mikey's bands? This is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me also say that his first bass was actually just a Fender Mustang copy that he took the top two strings off or the bottom two. I never know how to, the high, the two high strings off it and just played it as a bass because that's, you can't stop him. He, yeah. He's going to make a bass. But uh, <laughs> later he did get a real bass and formed some real bands. First band was called Poverty's Children. I love that. Uh, there was a band in it's Tacoma called Children of Poverty or something of poverty. Oh God! And, and Flash Poverty used to book the Hell's Hell's Kitchen, and he was in that band. Poverty's oh shit, <laughs> uh, like '90s punk, like hardcore band. Something Poverty, and everybody had like the last name, po- or at least Flash had the last name Poverty. I don't know if they were like the Ramones, and everybody had to get a name. It's not good. Uh, similar name, different vibe altogether. Uh, then he was in a band called uh, Black Opal. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's kind of metal. Yeah. I could I could listen to Black Opal. You get the new Black Opal A-track, bro. Yeah, man. Sounds good <laughs> in my Camaro. Uh, the next one I love, Balls. That's you, the one. Yeah. yeah. You check out Balls last Friday at the, at the Whiskey. See, it doesn't say how long he played in each of these bands. <laughs> or like, like, this is what I like about uh, um, famous band origins there's a little bit of fog around it you know there's a little bit of like okay yeah i i, I was in a band called the mostly virgins yeah. when i was in high school and uh that was like uh like six of us who got together twice it was fun to say yeah. it was fun to think of you know like how many of these are the uh, well balls was really just you know there's four of us and we jammed six times you know now it's a mystique. It's not, we were the originals. But I'm pretty sure Matt Penfield had seen balls at CBGB's oh. at one point. It was their only one and only East Coast show, and it was in CBGB's, but it was actually in the alley behind the dumpster at CBGB's. <laughs> they were busking. Um, a rat actually dropped a quarter in front of them. It was it was like Jesus himself. Yeah, no. But his next band, though, is the band he was in when he would open for uh, Mammoth which we'll get to Mammoth later, but he would cross paths with the Van Halen brothers before he would join should, their forces. Should we have a segment, gentlemen, of what was Sammy doing at this point? Oh, dip. Wow. You know what? what was Sammy doing? Holy blind spot, Chris. You nailed me. Wow. What was Sammy doing right now? What was Sammy he doing? Was... Oh, I just looked it up. Chicks. Driving fast. This is... Montrose, because uh, <coughs> Mammoth slash Van Halen would would actually do Montrose covers in their sets. Yeah. They would play like Rock Candy, Bad Motor Scooter. Man, it's like a binary star system <laughs> with Montrose. And just circling the, slowly. It was just destiny yeah. that, that Sammy and the Van Halen brothers plus Michael got yeah, together. It's like how me and Steve Bergstrom are eventually going to be the new Pet Shop Boys. I agree with that. You see that, right? I see that. Okay, thank you. I'd like to manage. <laughs> I've got the looks. You've got the brains. Wait, how's it work? I don't know. Yeah. See, already I'm fucking up. <laughs> That's why it's not yet. Okay, so at this point, where's Dave? Dave, who was also born in 1954 in 
Indiana somewhere. Bloomington, Indiana. That's like Dave Letterman country. What I found out, yeah, it was. What I found out was, uh, and probably still is, Dave was in a lot of lip sync bands. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, so the way he likes to describe it is he really liked getting the getting the duds on and getting a few people together and doing some lip syncs and then doing performances Chris. doing lip syncs and this is like in 5th grade mind you Alex and Eddie around 5th 6th grade is somewhere around there uh, cuz you know one's older than the yeah, other yeah. um they had a their first band was Broken Combs fucking great band name should have never changed <laughs> it's a great it. band name. the broken combs Stop, man. If I, yeah, if I was ever in like, you know, like a real big band, you know, you got to play the small show at the club and uh, you can't use your real name, like the Nude Dragons or something. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be billed as the Broken Combs. Yeah, dude. That's a good one. Or the Red Ball Jets, which was Dave's later band. But it's funny that you talk about Dave and all his pantomime business because he uh, himself has said that his biggest vocal influence was Al Jolson. Do you kids not know who Al Jolson is? Can I can I refresh <laughs> your memory? My song, if you please. Settle back, folks. You ain't heard nothing yet. Everything seems lovely when you start to roam. The birds are singing the day that you stray. He's gonna rhyme with home. But wait until you are further away. Oh. Things won't okay, be skipped so it on me. lovely when you're all alone. You're seeing the you hear it though. Yeah. Keep saying when you're far from home. <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> I also need to explain he's doing this in full blackface. Yeah. The darkest blackface. You never met an actual person from Africa this black. He has got, I don't know what he did. It's offensive in every way. Yeah, it's a rough look. But, but if anything good came from it, I guess it's... <laughs> okay. You're, you, honestly, though, you're bringing up a huge issue here um, with what you were inspired by and how it gets thought of Years later, mm -hmm. Cosby is sitting right on the tip of my tongue right now as far as, I, you know. That's just where he wants to be. <laughs> on that <laughs> same thing you said, though, uh, in, getting inspired from where? Um, I was trying to remember what you were talking about, like the early. One of those guys in that interview, I was talk, we were talking about the guy on the um, studio. Yeah, Sun the studios. Sunset Studios. Sunset he, Sound. The guy in the interview off. I'll, I'll dig up the name for the next one, but um, he, he was talking about all the early days and stuff. Maybe this is too early in the conversation, but before, maybe I should save it. But let it roar, let it rip, yeah, yeah, rip it. But it was just, <laughs> and I wish I could remember because at the time, by the time they're in the in the club, playing the clubs, it was punk rock era. Yeah, right. And uh, I forget the guy's name. He said, but uh, it was a local punk rock band, and the guitarist that used to play in the area down there. Mm -hmm. I forget the name, but he was like, that's where he thinks Ed saw the striped guitar. Like, and if you look oh. the name the name up and it, he's playing like an old Gibson, but with whoever the punk, I, I can't remember the name. Is it somebody we'd know? 
No, it's uh, it's like obscure. Mad obscure. It's not, it's not like yeah. Pat Smear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I'll uh, I'll, I'll cool. dig up the name. But. I think well, but that guy will be a good resource moving forward. That guy doing those uh, YouTube videos. For totally. Sunset sound. sound yeah. About, Eddie's got vaults. They got vaults. It's gonna yeah. Be, it's they, gonna be. They kind of talked times. about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Gonna hear some stuff. We're jumping ahead. Yes, we are. Anyway, uh, that was Mammy by Al Jolson. Uh, really brought it home for young David Lee Roth right there. Well, all right, let's see. Did we, uh, we broke up? Oh, yeah, not broke up. We broke up? We broke up. our first episode. Man. David, no. <laughs> um, so he's coming out with the with lip sync bands. He's obviously influenced <laughs> I don't know why by... that makes me giggle every time you say that. I know, lip sync bands. <laughs> Because of course he was. Yeah. yeah. But you figure like a seventh grade David Lee Roth. Now a seventh seventh grade David Lee Roth maybe Post watching what what you were, what you just played there, and I don't know why you had to dress up. I um, just like to sell the look. Yeah. A method podcaster. <laughs> Cut that out if you want. <laughs> He's getting influenced by, um, you know, uh, that kind of song and dance stuff coming around. They say that uh, Eddie says and whatnot. Um, he when they first started playing together, he didn't sound that great. He kind of yeah. worked his way into the band with the whole PA system. And <laughs> they were he had some it gear for ten bucks a show. Maybe he's coming from a little bit of cash, so he has some of that gear. And uh, son of an ortho or optometrist, kind of doctor. Is that it what it was? Optometrist. It was an eye doctor. Yeah. Yeah, good sight. Yes. Did he ever wear glasses? I never. You never see David Lee Roth wearing glasses. I've never seen him wear glasses. He ate carrots like a motherfucker. <laughs> Eat him. This <laughs> is dead. Eat it and smile, David. Ah! Eat it and smile. <laughs> okay, Dad. <laughs> but he had a couple failed auditions with Van Halen beforehand. Did he? And it was basically his ownership of the PA that tipped things in his favor. They could save 10 bucks per gig if they just let the guy be the front man. That's what I was reading, too, is that he, the PA was a big, <laughs> was a big role, played a big role in David Lee Roth. And Mikey's, as, as we'll get to. Um, he was able to have it and then ask, like, let me do a couple songs while... You know, while we're here, and I think that's maybe where some of the the covers start coming around. The, that common ground, the commonality with almost any few people who are getting together to start playing music. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're gonna maybe play something that you all three know. Uh, yeah. So where 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 are we at in the timeline? Now we're, I'm remembering stuff. Because um, <laughs> um, we're still in the youth. Okay, so they're okay. Not even in high school yet. Just about getting there. Oh, we're you know, dancing around we're in there. there. Yeah. Um, young Eddie Van Halen, the, the youngest member of the group, um, his big influence, he said, he really was influenced by Clapton, and we know this, and uh, guys like that, but his real first thing that made him want to be a cool rock and roll guy yeah. We're seeing the Dave Clark Five play "Glad All Over," <laughs> which is just—it's—it's it's beyond amazing how cute that is. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I'll play you just a little bit of that, just to let you know what. Uh, oh. You say that you love me, 
immediately I'm I'm hearing those background vocals. The right? background vocals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, this is a heavy song that has yeah. joyful vocals over top, and that's right. a very Van Halen Isn't that thing. That's the blueprint, to do. right? Yeah. That's uh, the pop format, which they are masters of. At an early age, Dave Clark planted that seed. God bless you, Dave Clark. Both of them. I mean, even uh, those drums in that. Oh, yeah, right? You know they were playing this shit. To, somewhere in a bedroom in Pasadena, two prepubescent Dutch boys were playing this song in a bedroom <laughs> and killing it's it. It's not good, Alex. <laughs> you should be on the drums and I would play the guitar. Please. Stop making fun of me. Far to you. Give. Yeah, so I think I heard him say a couple times that like he was playing piano at six and uh, prodigy guitar at twelve. Yeah, that was his first instrument. And like they, his dad took out crazy second jobs just so his kids would have piano lessons. Like it was important to old Papa Van Halen that his kids be musically educated. Yeah, payoff. Well, I mean, doubling <laughs> down. Do you know? Do you know when their father passed away? Oh, no it was idea. before OU8. OU812 is dedicated to him, so I'm going to say like 87, 88, somewhere in there. So chances are he was able to reap the benefits cognitively oh. of his son's He's on a Van Halen it. record. Totally. Oh, he yeah, plays playing the, the, tr- uh, oh, the Big clarinet. Bad Bill. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's right. We got three generations of Van Halen on, on Van Halen on wax. Van Halen. In, you know what I'm saying? Is there any other band... That has three generations that play. Mm. Jacob Dylan got a kid. It is, yeah. What? Jacob Dylan got a kid. Yeah. What about? uh, You mean to say it like Jacob Dylan? (laughs) Jacob Dylan got a kid. That's a good question, man. Wow. Wow. Willie Nelson plays with his kids, so all he needs is is a grand. You know, you heard me. Osmond family. <laughs> you <laughs> probably there, there it's, it's got like eighty <laughs> for the win. Yes. <laughs> no doubt. Um, yeah. It is like Scrabble. If you if you have a cousin mother, <laughs> then you, then it's even like four times as many yeah. points. Well the got Beach Boys and Wilson Phillips, did they ever they ever do some crossover? Yeah. We'll leave the mamas and the papas out of it. Moving on. We covered the oh, we forgot to mention the uh, that the young Van Halen brothers after they were the Broken Combs and they figured that was too immature, they uh, named themselves the Trojan Rubber Company, <laughs> and that was just Eddie and Alex. I don't know who was playing with them at, at that point, but they eventually picked up this dude named uh, Mark Stone to play bass, who they went to school with, and they were. Uh, Unfortunately, titled Genesis for the year of 1972, but quickly changed that when they figured out that there was an actual good band called Genesis playing across the pond at the time. They had to drop it. And uh, they picked the name Mammoth, which is pretty solid. I think Mammoth is a a good name. I think that's a a nice, solid name. They're in high school at this point. Are they? Did they skip school? I don't know if they were good students or not. But Eddie might still be in high school. I don't know. Yeah, who were on that high school? It was because they really all. Well, I guess as good as times any, they all really met at Pasadena City College. Yeah, 
we were on community college together, which of <laughs> course they were in Pasadena. Can you imagine Pasadena City College in 1974? There, okay, um, yeah, getting high school and college mixed up uh, with because they because I know, yeah, the brothers went to one and then David went to another one, high schools, mm-hmm. and then oh, okay, yeah. All their paths converged. Well, well, it was yeah, it was Eddie high school and, with ashtrays. Didn't Eddie and Michael meet at the uh, at the Pasadena Community College? Yes, PCC. They all yes, the PCC. <laughs> they were buying uh, a bougie salad. Yeah, and uh, they met in line. Speaking of mammoth, really quick, you know, you saw that that's what Wolfie used for his. That's band's like name. his band name. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The cooler story was he he was in the, one of the interviews. He was saying how he he wanted to get his dad's like blessing, kind of to use, like he asked kind of permission. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, well, of course, but okay, <laughs> go ahead, name your band. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. I mean, it on many levels. Totally. Yeah, I maybe balls. <laughs> or Trojan Balls Rubber deep? Company. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trojan Rubber Company would go over great these days. Did they have any other name on the drawing board for when Van Halen formed? No. Well, no, because when actually when they all got together, they were still mammoth. So we had the, we had our four had come together now that they're all in community college. And and uh Aunt Michael Anthony's band had opened for Mammoth and he had come through with the big PA move when the the high school they were playing had their PA malfunction, and Michael Anthony was and he, and he let him use it. He was PA guy. Yeah. So now he's ingratiated. So which version of the Van Halen brothers did you? I heard one part. He was saying how because Ed used to sing before they got the a vocalist. Yeah. So was that when when he met Mikey's band? So he was was it at that he point? was because for the, was the band the Genesis. That it's funny to say. Still, Eddie was the singer. Yeah, they so were a, they Gen- were a power trio with Eddie singing, and I mean I, oh, I reckon that, he was pretty good. And Stone, yeah, Mark Stone. Okay, who um left because I don't know why people leave bands when you're 19. Whatever, yeah. girlfriend didn't like it. The, and he was the only guy before Mikey. Yeah. So yeah, there's a yeah I saw. Uh, there's a documentary that has like all the interviews with those guys. He's in it uh, on Amazon, right? I just saw, I saw it on YouTube. Oh, oh, YouTube is good. But it was funny to because like uh, you hear him talk about hanging with those guys, and it was so early on that he, I think he got a job or a job offer for, for something or th- something hanging over his head mm-hmm. besides the band. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about doing this band thing, Alex. Like, what are you going to do? He's like, what do you mean? What am I going to do? <laughs> like, I'm doing it, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that was like, right. Yeah. He made the right choice. And then Mikey stepped in. Mikey uh, was also the singer in his bands though, too. He was the singer for snake and he was really, uh, he was really into fog hat. Like that was <laughs> honestly like that was his big influence. Rightfully so. And come totally. on, I mean, a great bass. Um, come on, right? You don't love this? Yeah. <laughs> he plays this every morning when he's in the bathroom showering. Oh yeah. This is a morning song. Come on. I can't help but days are confused though. Every time uh, I hear yeah, it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. 
your brain is operating correctly then is what you're telling me shouldn't he have had a cameo in that movie <laughs> i think he's credited as like a executive producer gotta be do you think when mikey first cut his hair into a mullet he was like yeah f- forever okay gonna, dude i'm glad be... you brought that up i think he's the only guy in history that like had the same haircut for decades oh let alone it being a the sweetest mullet ever yeah. 70s <laughs> 80s <laughs> 90s the millennium as consistent as his fucking baselines <laughs> that's five decades of that mullet dude that he, is, he owns it man nobody nobody could touch it. bob geldoff thinks he can do it but he's not the man no he's not the man he, he rode that mullet like he could ride he's not from cheese. pasadena <laughs> or arcadia excuse me it's 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 more high and tight now. It's got some flair to the top. Yeah, he oh. got a real tan forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. He always looks really tan. Uh, he, he, all the guys at Van Halen are always really tan. <laughs> I think Mikey got a lot out of um, hanging out with Sammy. Honestly, uh, I think finally the I only think one who was the, nice to him ever. <laughs> <laughs> I I think so. I think the elephant man met that nice doctor. (laughs) (laughs) It's it was it's a beautiful story, man. It's both of them, all four of them. Yeah, I I like that they got together. I think I think they have a good friendship, and I think it was good for Mikey because I think Mikey got a lot of shit in that band. Yeah, Um, I'm sure he had a great time, but I also think there's a reason for his drinking. (laughs) Yeah, Noel Monk, their road manager, wrote a really good book. Came out a couple years ago. Yeah, I heard the audio. Um, and I'm totally spaced on it. Running with the Devil, I think. No Monks? Yeah. In 2015. Um, was that, that long it? ago? Shit, man. Time flies. But uh, yeah. Maybe not. As soon as his uh, gag order was up, basically, <laughs> whatever his non disclosure agreement that he had signed however many years ago was up, and brother came out with the book deal. Yeah. And that's when you realize they were not nice to Mikey. Like at all. I don't know how that motherfucker is the smiliest guy in the whole band and they shit on him. I think he played... I, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? I came across... A, uh, it was the only interview I saw where he was more candid about playing with uh, Roth versus Hagar because it was it was a, a Hagar-era interview, but he, he was saying how when he joined uh, the, in the era we're talking, mm-hmm. he had to tune down with everybody because of Roth's Volk. Like every oh. so a t- they're all all the everything's tuned down yeah, and yeah. stuff, and it was to accommodate, accommodate his vocals. But he was like, "What the fuck?" So because the the <laughs> the strings were so loose, it was he had to get used to playing like that. Just to you know, <laughs> like my instrument's not working. Formed his style indirectly in some way. Yeah, yeah. You mean for like a re- for the reunion tour or for? No, Late, so, later tours. I think in his twenties. As soon as he started, it was like, "Oh, I have to tune down." Oh, and they made shit. his skins really slack. Yeah, so it took some adjustment, and then it just sounded like, "Yeah, David," or "Yeah, whatever." Yeah, but he sounded way happier, like being in with the Hagar guy <laughs> era, with like right. a little more freedom to play, a less limited range, I guess, huh? Yeah, gets to spread his wings. Yeah. So I mean, do we do you have any early Van Halen get together tracks? Uh, what's, what's the earliest? What's the earliest track we have? Earliest tracks? I've got some from nineteen seventy six. 
which is the earliest like I could really get my years, hands on. Yeah, two years after they formed. Um, so they they're going to they went to the PCC. They yeah. all kind of met, and it, you know Dave had some gear, Michael had some gear, the other guys they're had already, the talent. Yeah, they're already legends on the backyard party scene. Like Dr. Drew Pinsky has story because he's a Pasadena guy, about the same age as the Van Halen brothers. He's got <laughs> really? stories of being really? old. Oh yeah, no, he's an old Pasadena head, man. No shit. He was at those. Er, he's he's more Van Halen than we are, really, because he was there. He was there. Matt Pinfield ain't got shit on him for that. <laughs> Fuck. Um. What have I got from that era? They were a uh, lot of covers because it was it was required just to get the gig, the paying gigs. You had yeah. to play the covers. Okay, so that that's I like I like what you just said there because most of the bands prior to this fifties sixties were steeped in covers. You know that mm-hmm. that that the working band, like the the ethic of the working band, they all had their journeyman covers that they were going to play just to fill up the space to play mm-hmm. you know these guys tout playing five shows or five sets five 45 minute sets a night and a night yeah that's you know like the beatles in hamburg or something you have to have covers to do that and really you mostly have to be playing covers to do that to do that kind of model yeah um and so they're they're coming off of bands and individual singers and artists who are steeped in covers mm-hmm. van halen is kind of known for some of their covers always had a good cover you know especially in the early days at least it, it had good covers their first big hit was a cover yeah um funny that you said that and then we talked about the beatles in hamburg they both played this song in their five set nights oh go ahead what do i do the volume not La Bamba. Is that Dave Clark Five? Yeah, muscle kicking in right there. I'm starting to think that Dave Clark Five did a lot of heavy lifting around this time. <laughs> definitely it's there where's this from this is from a high it's uh oh it was on the original mp3 and the metadata did not come through it's a it's like an uh, pasadena area high school dance or they just used to have van halen would play their high schools i don't i don't understand they did they i I think i think back in the day high schools like to have a lot of sock hops and I think at a sock hop, you had to have a live band. Yeah. It's and like a that, holdover from the 50s. Yeah. They, and that live band had to uh, play a lot of covers and, and fill the space. Is this all four of them? Yeah, this is this is the classic lineup, if you will. Really? Dave's just throwing those squeals in. Right, he's got to, because literally, he's not even the best singer in Van Halen. It's true. Yeah. He really develops. As far as an arc he's that we're going to see through the length of he's this podcast the, is the ow! development Being of able to everybody's scream talent. Two octaves at once. <laughs> I mean, just wow. no real yeah. solos in there. They're just playing nice straight end. down the barrel. 
That's that's cool, man. That was that nineteen seventy six. Six. So Eddie is twenty one. If he was born in, yeah, yeah, and just to, before we go past it though, like when they're playing all those Pasadena backyard parties, like those were legendary. Like the ones you said that <laughs> yeah. a dude went to. Doctor Drew, yeah, if you, Dr. Can, yeah, Doctor Drew. You could see online people will post like old posters, yeah. from the neighborhood, and it's totally. awesome. <laughs> like one cop said, he was patrolling back then, and he said they couldn't even find the house because yeah. the it was just like such Cops. a stretch of cars. Like, like these <laughs> noise complaints, long. like they were famous for the noise complaints, like from neighborhoods away, complaining about the noise. So, the loudest band on fucking earth playing house parties and yeah. like i was telling you guys that interview with mikey that early one mm. he was saying how they would uh throw backyard parties and just put semis back to back yeah yeah double up and just play use that for the stage and play strong move too what do you think they were plugging into the house you think they're plugging it you think they're telephone they have generators poles, back whatever. then generators, telephone whatever. poles <laughs> i played on more than there used to be just outlets on yeah. telephone poles i played on more flatbeds than i care to mention <laughs> i think that was in cool the 70s they probably jacked it into a roller rink or something mm-hmm. <laughs> hit up the uh, street light you know you, jimmy opened the street light at the bottom that's, that's how the that's how hip-hop was invented son <laughs> block parties um hip-hop was invented with on the album Fair Warning, I think, as I've mentioned before. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's the kind of shit they were doing. Like, if you went to party with Van Halen, you got something like that. Uh, they had, oh. Well, so they're cutting their teeth with live shows. Yeah. They're coming out with live shows. They're, they're not a studio band that was formed. They're coming off of meeting, like like real old school. Meeting, jamming together writing songs Chemistry, and then just obviously. playing the shit out of them yeah. um, and mostly having um, or, or at least having attention to is the, is the crowd having fun like you they know, seem to care about that yeah they really do and I think that was a David Lee Roth influence in this band mm-hmm. is um, the showmanship where they with with the dynamic of the two brothers playing together they're fine. They've been playing together their entire lives. They're s- were still playing together up until <laughs> fairly recently. for life, son. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't, they like to have the crowd, but they're not wired to necessarily need the crowd. And sure. I think that's where these brothers really needed somebody like David Lee Roth to come into play um, to push their presence. Yeah. Because like they were musical self-soothers, yeah, if you will. Yeah. Like, it really was, for them, it was their own escape. Name three other drummers that Eddie Van Halen played with. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, Two and, of them are drum machines. And the same thing with Alex, too. They yeah. they were really Tight as the fun. binary system right there. Yeah. Um, so, you have those two brothers. You got Michael Anthony, who comes on board. And you have David Lee Roth, who's starting to push um, the showmanship. And I think that this is where they're cutting their teeth in these backyard parties, which are raw. Um, fun is fucked to play, especially if people are paying attention and having a great time. Otherwise, they don't even have to fucking stand near you and, and you're <laughs> sucking and you're like, that yeah. wasn't fun. You ever play backyard parties, Augie, in high school? One. Yeah, <laughs> there's always got to be at least one. Yeah, yep. 
was it all you hoped it would be at the time? It was just trying to, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, they're fun, but it, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the scene. Shout out Sumner High School class of 94, 95, <laughs> 93 through 96. You remember. Good times. So there's a lot of house parties. That was you'd, you'd hear people say like thousands when you like. Oh, someone they was were there, drawing they like club crowds yeah. to a house. Yeah, probably bigger than. Club, but think of a backyard, and a and a rock club, and the cars down the block. They're probably doing like theater numbers. Yeah, at backyard parties. Yeah, easy, ridiculous. Yeah, that's but sick. They, that's, that's so how sick. they got good. Like I'll play this next one. This next clip I have. And this is only maybe like a year later. And just from that uh, twist and shout track, I mean, the the growth. And this is actually uh, Mikey singing and Dave singing. And they're doing uh, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers by ZZ Top. Because, you know, I it's kind of a duet cover. between uh, yeah. the original one. <laughs> and it kicks ass. I'll just uh, let her go. <laughs> The thing is, they can never not play something like Van Halen. Right. It's the same thing. I mean, they're all spilling over with it. Dave can't not sound like Dave. Tapping action going right on. in there, right? Like, it's just nah, there you go. Yeah. Just a little tease. It's all there in the early stages. Oh, totally. Even playing it. Young Eddie has his vocals scream right before Eddie goes into the solo, it's just right on the money. And something they do from now until forever. Yeah, he's way off script as far as like, like what ZZ Top was doing. Yeah, Billy Gibbons solo. But I do hear Billy Gibbons That's in awesome. Eddie Van Halen though. Yeah, whether he'll ever mentions that as an influence I don't know but I, I hear it It obviously it was an influence I mean he's 21 22 playing their songs in clubs yeah <laughs> and putting his own shit that's like that's just a Van Halen song now it's like when they did You Really Got Me yep no that's a Van Halen song now yeah like they put their stamp on it like yeah, it'd be great to hear other some of their other covers like didn't they do Basity Roller stuff too <laughs> I'm sure they did. I mean, it was that time. I don't know if I ever heard that, but yeah, S A T U R D A. That's yeah. awesome. But uh, you know what? I could see him like getting into those ri- the rhythm parts of those ZZ Top songs because oh, I mean, yeah. it had like a killer just like rhythm thing going. Same thing. Like, like power just, trio. Just move. thinking that right now, like listening to because ZZ Top's just all. Like those kinds of riffs, man. So when we run out of Van Halen albums, <laughs> yeah. we start the ZZ Top podcast. In From the bottom to the ZZ Top. A to ZZ Top. 
Be. Moving sidewalks. Mo- hey, <laughs> you name this one too. You got the golden touch. <laughs> um, so look forward to that in the late Biden administration era. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, shit, but people are coming to see these shows because they are so legendary in the Los Angeles, Pasadena area, Hollywood, that they're getting into the clubs now. They're playing the whiskey. They're playing Gazaris, which have you seen? Uh, uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. Part 2? The first one was about the punk kids. And the second one was all the metalheads yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Sunset Strip. Totally. And Gazari, Mr. Gazari was in there, the old guy with the young babes in like bikinis and, you know, or maybe they weren't bikinis, but their tits were out. Like it was 1985. Like, okay. Picture it. This was the scene at Gazari's. Probably a little bit of cocaine flying around. But. They became, they went from backyard heroes to club fixtures on the Sunset Strip in like a year's time. And Gazari's was on the decline by the time Van Halen started playing there. Mm -hmm. It had already had its uh, ebb and flow. He hooked them up. And then they they hooked him up. They they hooked him up. (laughs) Then they started playing there. I t- <laughs> I feel like the 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 thing you do movie when they started playing at Della Pianos <laughs> and they just the pizza place just started bumping because yeah. the, the band was tight. Um, they revived Gazaris, which if you're talking about Gazari in 1985, they did a hell of a job for Gazari. He owes them. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Because then, because that was became the place that Van Halen went off. So now Poison's got to play there. Yeah. Uh, everyone with a can of hairspray's got to play Yeah. You take a dump of Gazaris in the back room. Did Fuck you do that? that? Yeah, did yeah. that. I got to admit, there's the same thing around here. Like, the Central's one of those places. Yeah. It's like our CBGB. That's like where uh, Nirvana played their first Seattle gig and nobody came and they packed back up and went back home and didn't even play. That kind of shit that yeah, happens there. Which is also bullshit because yeah, you already made of, the trip. You got to fucking play. It's pussy ass. Those bartenders need entertainment. Yeah, otherwise, you would, you know, what, what are you doing? Anyway, Chris is glad he's dead, but let's move on. <laughs> um, they're becoming like club legends now. So much so that like guys like Rodney Bingenheimer, who, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said it. Uh, the king, the mayor, excuse me, the mayor of the Sunset <laughs> The king, strip, no, wait. The mayor. Mayor, wait, Duke. Archduke. No. Mayor. Mayor. No, most definitely the mayor of the Sunset Strip, Rodney Bingenheimer, who uh, was a radio DJ and a very influential one, like LA's John Peel or something, you know? Like, would really break new shit uh, to the masses. And he eventually ended up having his own club, too, Rodney's English Disco, it was called. <laughs> uh, just a real fixture. There's actually a really good documentary about him on one of the streamers. You'll find it. Or YouTube, as it turns out. Everything's on YouTube. Everything. Type in Rodney Bingenheimer. You're on your own spelling that shit, but try it. It'll be fun. He convinces, because he's such an influential DJ, he convinces Gene Simmons that he's got to come check these guys out in the clubs on the strength of seeing them once. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Chuck, it's your cousin, Marvin. <laughs> I got that sound you've been looking for. <laughs> and he says, you, got, you need to come down here and check these guys out. They, their story of, of getting together, playing a whole bunch of backyard shows, and then getting discovered, 
is is right down the line. It, oh. it, it is. It, it should be a Tom Petty song. It's what biopic montages are made of. Right. <laughs> right. And their perspective is, well, if you just play, you're going to you're going to fucking make it. Yeah. You just got to put in the hours and just and <laughs> at rarely do they ever say like you got to be ungodly talented also. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's part of it. Yeah. They their work ethic supersedes their talent, yeah. except for their talent starts and then it's a feedback loop and you're like how did this happen and it just seems like it was meant to be that's what happens when ungodly talent meets ungodly work ethic yes and speaking of work ethic that's when they were trying to make money on the side Ah! just remember (laughs) like we'd go into house to house to paint the paint the address on the curb put the coveralls on from the city yep ma'am excuse me we're just working for the city it's like five bucks to we'll spray paint it on there fresh for you and you know what it is kind of a victimless crime that's mm-hmm. why it's it's so charming and fun. I didn't know that was the thing until until this. They do it around here. <laughs> of course, the Proud Boys go knocking door to door around here. Did you know that? Did they? Oh, do they? Fucker, please come here. Yeah, what, they do. By the way, what do they have to say? I hope they come and tell me. It'll be fun. <laughs> anyway, we'll report on that later. <laughs> we'll see. Um, sidebar, but uh, where are we at? Well, they've been playing at Gazari's. Now they're getting some bigger shows, and Gene Simmons, the Gene Simmons of Kiss. Oh, not Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. <laughs> Gene Gene the Dancing Machine from the Gong Show. It's the same era. Gong Show fame, yeah. And they made that movie about the host, that, and that guy looks just like you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um. So Gene says, "All right, what the hell? I'll bring my." Six foot five ass down there and inconspicuously so, check these motherfuckers out. So they're playing. He shows up in full heels and makeup. A, a fucking <laughs> rock real? star. I, I doubt it. A rock star <laughs> says to record execs, you have to check these guys out. They check these guys out at a show <laughs> over yes. the course of one and or two nights. Yes. Disputable. Disputable. Well, that's, that's the, the oh, record company guys. You're, yeah. Hold on. Yeah, getting ahead yeah, of the yeah. game because Gene Simmons takes it. He's takes it upon himself to oh, take these guys into the studio for the re- first recordings. You're right, and you're they right. do you're about twenty nine right. songs. Like they really rip them out over like a space of a weekend, and and Gene produces it, bankrolls it, everything. This whole session called the Zero Sessions. That's right. Which have become just also this word is going to come up a lot. Maybe make this the drinking game of this show. Every time someone says legendary. Go ahead, take a swig. Because these demo tapes have been legendary since I can remember because it was a bootleg. They were widely bootlegged. I don't know how things like that used to get out, but you can't you can't leak shit to the internet. Somebody took a a fucking tape roll somewhere and did some yeah. duplicating. Yeah. And people had it. <laughs> when you had to duplicate things in real time. Yeah. You had to sit there, listen to it. People had to had to care back then. You had to care about. The I remember product. seeing a "What's Happening" show, uh, episode <laughs> where we had the Doobie Brothers. Uh. <laughs> he bootlegged the Doobie Brothers. He bootlegged the Doobie. Well, I tried to. Yeah, and his tape recorder fell out. That's what he gets from underneath the shirt. That's what he gets. There used to be a uh, used record place in Issaquah in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. I used to get a lot of. They had a lot of. They would get a Van Halen bootlegs in uh, yeah. quite often. 
they they were out there and the japanese ones were really fun because they'd try to translate the lyrics sometimes on the inner sleeve <laughs> it was just it's like uh it's about as well as like google translate works now but try to it was uh my friend james keefe who we were in our first band together he uh, had this Japanese bootleg of Van Halen and had all the lyrics, but it was like a live bootleg. So like, why are they trying to put lyrics in there in the first place? Like, we didn't even ask for that, but it was all Japanese translation, Sammy Hagar era lyrics. They're just like, hello, baby. <laughs> it was like, it was so wrong in every way you can imagine. <laughs> it was That's the best. Back when you could get physical bootlegs in your hand and get them from like Easy Street Records. Yeah. Not trying to make it hot, easy street. But I remember when you used to sell Italian bootlegs. The well, the Italian bootlegs were the best, weren't they? Because <laughs> you're allowed to take them. Apparently, off the there board is no copyright like law in it, yeah. in Italy. Yeah, at all. some some weird thing going on. Yeah, any any time you get a bootleg from Italy, oh, that's the good stuff. Right off the soundboard, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Do you have any of those clips from those sessions? Funny you mention because I do, and uh, it's funny because the first one I'm going to play, House of Pain. Obviously, oh. this song doesn't show up until 1984, almost a decade later. Yeah, I like that. I like it. I sat on this guy for a minute, but um, but it's kind of it's gonna be kind of like a "We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions" situation because the way they were recorded on this particular demo, these two songs ran together, being "House of Pain" and "Running with the Devil." And I think it will, in the end, explain that crazy noise at the beginning of Running of the Devil from their, the first song on their first album. That, that fucking, I love how they drop it in this song. It's yeah. crazy awesome, and I wish they'd have kept it, but I, I get it. <laughs> but here it is. Interesting to point out in these sessions, he's playing a a rhythm track and doing his solos on a and little ad libs on a separate track, which was not his modest apparandi after that. Is. Yeah, which gives it. I don't know. Gene's production is. I hate. To, you gotta give the devil his due every once in a while. Good one, Gene. Good one. I like this cut. Yeah. Alex is just double basing his face off right now. Uh, I love that. It's, and that that sounds like a Gene Simmons. Uh, like you could have inspired that. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The David Lee Roth. Uh, funny enough, too, is that uh, Eddie would tell a story. In the uh, after this, obviously, in later, not quite night, like 78, 79, when they were, uh, when Kiss was having problems with Ace Freely and they were beefing in the Kiss camp, that uh, Gene Simmons had approached Eddie, or maybe it was around this time. It might have been around this time, actually. Like, maybe he so. had all. Okay, let's not put it past Gene Simmons to have ulterior motives for this fucking. Uh, <laughs> A demo session. You feel like maybe uh, playing in my band, dollars, kid. Something I don't know. 
can you imagine? He offers the job to Eddie, is what happens. Can you imagine if he takes that? A, Kiss gets infinitely Better. cooler, and, but unfortunately, Eddie gets infinitely less cool for joining Kiss. So he made the right decision. I think Eddie begrudgingly got into the the rock garb because of Dave's influence. And and then and then it worked. He understand that I, there's marketing to this. Yeah. And he's in a stage. He's in a position to fucking be able to pull it off without. Oh, well, if like anybody a does marketing, that's what Gene Dave Simmons. Yeah, exactly. That's I think all he there's does. a Dave Gene Simmons thread there. When you look at Wikipedia, to, it's like Gene Simmons, entrepreneur, something, 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 something. Five more down the road, bass player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bull inseminator. I think that was one of them. <laughs> this is but pretty different from the version that would end up I like on it. 1984. I think I like it better. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like it should have been. On, yeah, it sounds like it should have been on Fair Warning or something with that groove. Totally. Yeah. Mikey coming correct in the background. Dave Clark style or Foghat style. Excuse me. You know there's some unheard fucking speed metal shit that Alex and Eddie did together. Because they're doing this in the early days right yeah. here. Oh. See? Yeah. That is just too smooth of a fucking sonic, compa- you know. Couplet there, but they—they they probably did it. What they do it? They—they did it here on accident, ish. I know this is one track to the next, but then they were like, "Let's do that for real to start our first album." Yeah, so they took part of House of Pain yeah. to start the album to go into this song, which that's kind of feels like a happy too. accident. We're like, yeah. you know how that we didn't mean to, that transition. <laughs> if we meant to transition that, that would be awesome, and we should start our whole fucking but career fuck with that. that other song. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get back to it. For about eight years. We'll come back to that. We already talked about the horns, right? The car horns. Oh, yeah. And how he does that on his guitar? Or didn't they just record the car horns off their cars and then just slow it down? Is that what they did? We did not speak about this. I know that was the one they used in running with the original on the first album. And that's that same sound. Really? Yeah. Oh, so that I mean that's literally like a bunch of car horns that they slowed sample down. Sample or something. Um, cut that off. Actually, I apologize, but uh, that's nuts. So that's that's why it sounds. That'd be a hard sound to recreate. Like once you that's probably why they it took the- it off because it's right in the <laughs> middle of the. But I've heard them do that song live. There was some interesting stuff that came out in the last couple of weeks. Like there's an old. I guess that would be right after they got signed. Like a early, early. Uh, footage yeah with stuff like that oh, with dave in the full uh like sequin vest and stuff and they're ripping man they're just fucking <laughs> going for it. it dude dave's doing like back arcs for days and oh, just like the album heads. cover man yeah in the platform heels i'm sure exactly dude yeah um but w- at what point was it though when because i know maybe it was after they were first getting signed or um but Dave was like, he went out of his way to really get his vocals going, like because they weren't. He knew he wasn't up to par. <laughs> he it. Was I can't forget, link. but it was early, yeah. early on. 
before the before the first album. Yeah, yeah. I, think so. I think so. I remember him yeah. bringing that up in the Rogan interview or something Did like that, talk talking about, that? about just the way they would play anywhere from like a a biker party or they go to East LA and play for the Vatos and they had different sets for that. Yeah, and they had different sets for when they played in Pasadena. Yeah, and yeah, that's just they the were the conscious of their audience off. for sure. Yeah. And Dave, in a very later interview with Eddie and Alex, a really nice black and white interview to to bookend to you know bookend everything we're talking about. And I'd love to pull some clips from that later on. Um, he he mentions that he he kind of bought a little bit of the pop to the band, a little bit of in his term the girl friendliness mm-hmm. to the band because without it. These guys were ready to go full metal and wanted to go full metal. Could have gone the deep purple route. You know? Yeah, so there was this kind of uh, uh, burnishing the edges of, of each member because of their combination. Who was saying that? David. But while he was sitting with Alex and Eddie oh, and they were oh, talking oh, in a circle. Talking about yeah, yeah. That's why a good, true band should it should all be like all these checks and balances to keep everyone f- away from their worst tendencies yeah and pull the best yeah. out of each other like you got to kind of have this like step up we're all standing around the edge of this uh swimming pool and you just pulled off a triple stiffy mcollie and, and like your next Lindy. Up. yeah with yeah. the reverse triple nipple uh, <laughs> sow cow yeah it's you got to have that uh that will drive you to greatness yeah sure yeah. And I, I think that dynamic also um, migrates, mm-hmm. you know, from whether throughout the night, throughout the the weeks, months, or career, there's micro migrations. Who's pushing what, uh, and or who's who's got the juice at that point? You know, obviously David Lee Roth is kind of grabbing for that. He <laughs> thrives on it. Give me the juice. Um, but you know you can see you can see that checks and balances going back you know going around. Um, you don't vocally hear from Alex so much, but I also Go wonder, ahead, like as an older brother figure and as a drummer, how many times that he could just not budge. <laughs> you're outnumbered if you, if it's him and then i mean they're they always back each other up the yeah. and they yeah they, those brothers always back each other up for sure you never heard a lot yeah. about them like fist fighting like uh like oasis style the no. the um eddie and alex oh yeah you do really oh, yeah. 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 they throw okay. fists a lot because they'd start cursing in dutch at each other oh. yeah <laughs> and they'd start of brawling like, I, I, I did hear someone oh, talk about funny. that in an interview that's funny well at least they don't slag each other on twitter well i don't see i don't think they held the grudges like the like the oasis yeah. brothers i think they um i think they, they were able to with. Pu- yeah push each other around and then realize well i mean well obviously brothers so yeah. we're gonna be good forever and i don't feel like finding another drummer you don't feel like finding another guitarist <laughs> yeah Always ended I, with a drunk hug the band's in our name so like <laughs> yeah the we're pool. at least gonna be together <laughs> I have to pull some. I found some good clips of uh, him, Ed, just talking about like his like just real cool brother shit. Like yeah. like they just loved each other, dude. It's, yeah, it's dude. so sweet. But before you leave the um the Gene Simmons session, yeah. just a side little segue story related to Gene. Oh yeah. Um, 
because I, I heard more than once just in random inter interviews lately one thing that came up a couple of times was anyone that was driving with ed like they would start shitting their pants because he would just drive like a motherfucker like yeah, a, a piece of shit car <laughs> like the fucking devil did like yeah and one of the stories uh was with gene and because they played together or they're at some show maybe I'm not sure they probably would have huh and or maybe ed was the edward was there i don't know but yeah. um after gene after they kiss finished like everyone got in their limos and gene saw uh ed and was like hey man what's going on where are you going and he's like I'm, I'm in my car i'm in my jeep or whatever <laughs> um but i'm going your way though if you want to ride and he's like yeah i'll go with ed like he's, he's going your limo i'm gonna I'm go cool. with eddie <laughs> And he said he got in there, man, and he's just, just flying down the road like a son of a bitch. He's <laughs> like, holy fuck. He drives like he plays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why they had to get Sammy Hagar later. It was meant to be. Lead-footed motherfuckers. So, Mo Austin, who was an exec at Warner Brothers, got wind of these local L.A. kids. I mean... People move to L.A. and bring their whole bands to L.A. to to make it. I don't know what the percentage is. 80, 90% of bands in L.A. are not from L.A. Or at least historically been that way. These were some homegrown kids yeah. out of Pasadena, L.A.'s backyard, making good on the club scene. Guys like Mo Austin are going to hear about it. So he decides to go check them out. And it's their first night ever playing the Starwood in Hollywood and he drags along Mr. Ted Templeman. Ted Templeman who had done some Montrose records with a young Sammy Hagar talking about what Sammy doing right now. He's working with Ted Templeman. Ted Templeman would do he had like some yacht rock credits to his name too. Like I feel like he got he was diverse. He just oh, knew yeah, how to yeah. make shit sound good. He's one of the old school producers. Totally. Stick with me, you'd be wearing gold-plated diapers, that kind of guy. Yeah, I think that's where Dave and Ted got along with, listen, if you put a good 30% of covers on this thing, <laughs> yeah, nobody can say it well, sucks. Dave got Ted in the split, you know. Yeah, yeah, when the He'd split happened. Crazy Ted from the heat, Ted Templeman. Yeah. Uh -uh. And that so. Starwood show, that, that guy that's in that on that YouTube channel with the, we were talking about earlier, yeah, Sun Studios. Yeah, Sound. Sunset Stamp, um, there was a guy that they interviewed on there. I think he's a producer, mu musician type. Anyways, he was the one, he used to see them play back in the day, and he kept putting it in Ted Ted's ear, or one of the music okay. uh, executive people. So he kept trying to push them early he's on, too. You gotta see these name. kids. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he claims he was there that one night. Like, right. One of the eyewitness account, not a well attended show by all accounts. So yeah. like nobody's, it's like uh, it's like when the Sex Pistols played the Lesser Free Trade Hall in in uh, uh, wherever uh, Joy Division's from Manchester, and yeah. everyone says they were at that show, but in reality, there's like twenty people at that show, right? <laughs> and it's pretty well documented who those twenty. They all went and formed bands. But do you, do you know how many shows I played that had twenty people or less that nobody talks about? Yeah, nobody will admit to being at, <laughs> much less <laughs> trying to claim they were there. It's like, can you like? I love I love the story of this, and obviously Van Halen deserves the greatness, and they had this trajectory. But okay, to add to their story, <laughs> and 
Hardly anybody was at this show except for a record exec and a producer, and they were like, these kids got it. Cigar chomping. Sign them. Central to which one? The biggest producers in the world. All right. Warner Brothers? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you you make Looney Tunes? Yeah. Do you make (laughs) Batman movies? These guys got everything. James Addison, they were on there too. Warner Brothers was big time. Yeah, Warner Brothers was about as big time as it gets. And uh, they came a courting. So they get a hold of uh, Van Halen's manager, who, uh, Marshall Burl. I don't think uh, as we go through the they rest of this timeline, managers. I don't know if Marshall Burl is around too much longer, but uh, him and uh, the aforementioned, uh, what's the name that wrote the book, Noel Monk, took a meeting. With Mo Austin and Ted Templeman at a deli <laughs> over pastrami sandwiches. Pastrami. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Just, you if you go to a deli, you're not going to order pastrami. What are you, an asshole? <laughs> uh, to hammer out the deal that would make Van Halen hopefully the next big thing. What do you think the deal is? What, do you, what was it? Three albums? Two albums. Two albums. Spoilers. Not a good deal for the band. Really? But we'll get into that once they start making albums. Once they start making albums, and that's what we're going to cover next. Uh, next episode is the very first album, nineteen seventy seven, seventy eight, in there in that era. And we're we're like right up to the gates of that first is, of that first album. Their whole world is about to change. So we got a backyard band the drawing whole thousands world's of about people, to change. and they're about they're they're. About to make their first record after being funded by the basis from Kiss. <laughs> Which, by the way, the reason that never went anywhere, Kiss's management told him, no way, these, these kids ain't got it. They'll never, this is a, stop wasting your time, Gene. And that was the end of that. Kiss's management sounds like a, a bad boxing manage, manager <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it's like the fake Don King you would get at the uh, Mike Tyson's punch out. Yeah. <laughs> now you're the star. These kids aren't stars. They don't know anything. Once you're again, the star. Once again, you couldn't write it. Yeah. They couldn't imagine how their lives were going to change over the next 365 days. This next, as soon as Van Halen records their first album and then starts touring, the fucking game the, on. The sky cracks open. <laughs> it's raining women. Hallelujah. Like oh, saying. really quick. Sorry, I forgot this part. Yes. When they were getting scouted, like by uh, um, different record companies. Yeah. One of the guys that came through the clubs and passed on them. And he was he was talking in an interview recently. How, like, yep, I, <laughs> that's me. Fuck, first Baccarat. Oh well, <laughs> come on. Because remember he he started that records, uh, <laughs> yeah, record studio. Well, I mean that's not exactly his vibe, right? <laughs> <laughs> he passed though, huh? There's always yeah. that guy, like yeah. the guy that passed on the Beatles, or you know, it's always yeah, the, a gene, the Kisses management, dunces of the year. You could have had Kiss and Van Halen in your in your in your fold, right? Stupid. I hope you. It was an interesting time for music back then, though, man. <laughs> punk rock was nipping at the heels of new legitimacy. Wave. New wave, post punk. Literally went from punk on. to post punk really fast. It was like, yeah. 
before the eighties, before the seventies were even over. We we're into post punk. Yeah, and I'll dig up the name of that guy. I'll look him up with that supposedly had that striped guitar, but it was like right around. <laughs> oh yeah, we got time. to know that. Mm, deep, deep L.A. punk nerd shit. Get mm-hmm. ready. That's what's coming up. Um, thanks for hanging out as long as you have, everybody. It's been uh, this week. We haven't figured out a sign off yet, so I'm just be like, no. I mean, we're we're all a work in progress. I feel like we're I feel like we're a trio playing a lot of backyard shows, <laughs> trying to figure out. <laughs> we what are is, in our backyard. What show is our phase. first song? What is our last song? But I'll tell you what, I can't wait to keep going down this fucking rabbit hole. Amen. Nope, it it's wasn't tough. there, but yeah. I was trying to. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I really over that. We need like a catchy like. Uh, catchphrase for the for the ending like an outro like hey that's <laughs> no nah, I, I stepped all over that man I was all over what when i was like when i what i just said there and then you guys responded and was talking at the same time yeah i was about to tell you that is it too cheesy to say happy trails fuck no it's not thank you to everybody that hung out for this whole thing and thank you to my co-host chris little drip fifle mm-hmm Augie El Pagano Pagan. Until we meet again. Until we meet again. This is Jared Britt, thick white duke, saying happy trails. Bombadida, 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 clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy trails to you till we meet again